Union Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Alan Feely, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Fadugba, uh, the founder of Just Football and the Nordic Football Podcast. How are you, Jonathan? Glad to have you on. Very good, Alan. Thanks for having me on the show. How, how are you? I'm good. I can't complain. I'm uh, excited to be talking to you, especially given the recent events in domestic Norwegian football. Uh, Bodo Glimt yesterday won the Norway uh, Elite Syrian. Uh, for the first time in their history. How was that? And just before we go into their story, uh, were you uh, glad to see them win the title yesterday? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it has to go down as one of the few good stories of, of the year for sure within football. There's uh, no doubt with that, but about that. Um, you know, in terms of the context of this, this is kind of, in a way, it's been compared to the Leicester City winning the Premier League, kind of um, in terms of magnitude of the cl- and the level of the club and where they've come from to what they've done this season, winning the title. And it's a story that we've been covering quite a lot in the Nordic Football Podcast over the past three years, you know, covering their development. And so to a certain extent, it was kind of expected. Um, they've absolutely walked the league this season, to be honest. Uh, it's just been a matter of time, really, because they've been so good. But uh, to see it finally realised, although obviously the absence of fans is that, that is slightly sad, but uh, ultimately it's an incredible story and a fairy tale for Norwegian football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, you're well versed in not just Norwegian football, but Scandinavian football, being the co-founder of the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, so how does it feel for yourself um, and your team to kind of see Scandinavian football get the attention it's getting at the moment? Because the New York Times had a piece, for instance, on Bodo Glimt a couple of weeks ago and uh, various other places did too. Um, it must be gratifying to see the region get some attention. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I would say since we've done the show sort of three years now and um, since 2017, I, I used to live in Sweden and uh, we started the podcast around then and, and, you know, it was fairly low key, a bit of maybe hipster, you might say, you know what I mean? It was um, not exactly a huge spotlight on, on, on the leagues. There's a lot of talent that comes from that region, but but um, in terms of the storylines in general, you had dominant forces really. You have Malmo in Sweden and then you have Rosenborg in, in Norway. They're the two traditional dominant forces but um yeah like you say just the, the sort of emergence of glimpse in the past two seasons um their their rise their gradual development you know they were really good last season as well they were really good to watch and, and there was a lot of talk about them they didn't quite manage to get over the line but uh they kind of set the foundations uh and it's a team with a really interesting story in terms of their development their youth development just the whole story about them really is is, is fascinating and yeah, so, you know, my point, I suppose, what I'm trying to say is that this season, like you say, there's been, there's been a lot more spotlight. We've had a lot more people kind of following the show, a lot more people kind of um, following the podcast, subscribing, that kind of thing. And just there's definitely more of a buzz around Norwegian football at the moment. Part of that as well is not only due to Buda Glimp, but also um, just the rise of Norwegian football in general. You've got some, you know, outstanding talents now coming from the region, uh, the likes of Erling Braut Haaland, um, Sander Berger, those kind of players. And it's just created that kind of buzz. And I think within football, more and more people now are kind of looking towards Scandinavia and especially Norway and Sweden, maybe Denmark as well, and sort of saying, you know, like, you know, what's what's going on in this region, you know, and, and paying a, a closer eye on it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, like you said, Sanderberg, Erling Haaland and uh, Martin Odegaard as well, of course, are kind of three players who aren't just talented players, but they're very kind of creative and modern footballers, you could say. So I guess that kind of hints at maybe a strength in the youth development in Norway, especially, but maybe across Scandinavia as well. And obviously you have a good background in youth football, so I'm interested to get your thoughts on that. But just before we begin with that, 
I'd like to ask you about kind of the context of uh, Bodo Glint's um, success. Like, what, how is Norwegian football generally kind of perceived? What's the culture there like? Obviously, Mold are kind of maybe the most well-known uh, name outside of uh, Norway. But is football strong in Norway, do you think? What's the culture like? I think it's it's certainly getting stronger all the time. I think traditionally, in terms of the last sort of ten, five to ten years, um, and maybe twenty five, twenty, you know, going back to maybe the nineties when they qualified for the World Cup, there's been that kind of proud tradition of footballers, and there's, there's always been one or two players that have come through, and um, the likes of Oleg and the Solskjaer and, and others. But I think what we're seeing at the moment is a real sort of new era for for Norwegian football. There's a huge amount of excitement um, in Norway about the players that have come through. I think there's a there's a real feeling now that, you know, they were slightly unfortunate in the um, most recent qualifiers for the Euros and that kind of thing. They, they didn't quite um, make it, losing in the playoffs to, to Serbia. But um, there's a feeling now that the, the next generation that's kind of come through next, you know, let's say if we're looking towards 2022 maybe or, or even going towards 2026, there's a real generation, strong generation that's coming through at this moment in time with, with real talent. You, you, you've mentioned there Martin Odegaard, who, who obviously emerged at 15 years old in the end and uh, went on to Real Madrid. But you've also got other players like Ellingbrat Harlan now has come through. Jens Petter Hauger, who's recently just transferred to AC Milan. He was part of this incredible Buda Glimp side. Last season, we had Hakon Evian, who was the talking point of, of the year, really, at Buda Glimpse. He eventually went to um, AZ Alkmaar. Um, and you've just got talent after talent coming through, really. Uh, a lot of them are part of this, this Glimp team, to be honest. You know, you've got a lot of young talent there um, that excites people. So it's really kind of like a new dawn for, for Norwegian football at this moment in time. Um, and Glimp kind of, I think, encapsulate that. They kind of they kind of embody this new era coming through uh, for Norwegian football. And, and it's not only, um, Alan, it's not only the way they've won the title and the way they've come through, but it's also kind of a playing style. They have a, a really modern game model of football that kind of, um, the, the development of Norwegian football at this moment in time is really emblematic of the changes of their style of play. They're really becoming more of a fluid team. Um, you know, Buda Glimpse a sort of high press, really um, modern sort of style of play, really intense technically really gifted players. There's a lot of players that are coming through that are multi-purpose, can play in different positions, you know, can play on both feet, um, really good balance, body positioning. So there's that kind of model of player that's also coming through as well as that kind of um, talent. And so really, it's like, like I say, it's created that kind of feel-good factor. And I think that is encapsulated by the, this glimpse side. You've got to bear in mind that, you know, Rosenborg are the traditional force. Um, Mulder have won the title in, in recent seasons, of course. But, but um Glimps are a tiny team, really. You know, they've been in the second division um, for most of the past sort of 15 years and expectations were kind of relegation one or two years ago. So for them to sort of have the season they did last year was incredible. But for them to go one better this season and actually win the thing, you know, for the first time in their history is just outstanding. Yeah. And what's the story to their success? Like, where did it come from? Is it from a, a coach, a visionary coach, or is it from kind of a shift in institutional mindset or is it a a group, group of players are bursting through. What is it? Because they're positioned in the Arctic, right? So they're not exactly in a, a cosmopolitan city. So what is it exactly that's kind of spurred on this success within the club? How have they gone from relegation candidates in a second division team to, you know, title winners? Like? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, you know, um, it's difficult to really pinpoint one thing because there's so many different elements to it. Uh, I've... Uh, we've had the their sporting director on the on the podcast. I've met him, um, Asman Bjorkan, who's become a friend. And 
I've talked to him about kind of what, what exactly have they done to, to create this amazing team. And, and really, it's, it's just a development uh, that's, that's, that's happened. They've had a lot of high emphasis on their academy. Um, this is their first time in their 104-year history that they've, they've won the league. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, they're, they're based high, high in the north. It's a really, you know, you've got to get all kinds of flights and stuff to get even from Oslo <laughs> to, um, to Glimpse. You know, and it's right up in the north, uh, near the northern lights kind of thing. And yeah, I think it's a coming together of, of, of a team, a philosophy. I think they have that time to build the squad. There's no real pressure, I suppose, to a certain extent. It's not a team like a, a reason where they don't spend much money. Um, so they've had to sort of rely on their own development. And through that, they've just gradually created this sort of game model and brought in players that only fit that kind of style of play. Most of them have come from maybe the academy or they're, they're very, very good with recruitment. Um, they, they, they buy the right kind of fit of player and, 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 and sort of develop them. Um, and then obviously they've got a really incredible manager, um, Kieto Knutson, I think will, will take a lot of the credit. Um, he's, you know, from Bergen, his family lives in Bergen, uh, which is, you know, a couple of flights away, but he, him as a coach, he'd never even managed in the top flight uh, until a few years ago. And he's come through and kind of developed this team. And, and I think one of the things that you usually see with a team like this, obviously you always get, don't you, Alan, you always see teams across different leagues and, and in the world and in Europe. You get teams who do quite well for a bit, maybe, but then fade away. Um, the, the story of this Klimt side is they just haven't faded away. They, they've refused to to go, uh, and I think that is the the key here. And it's just showed how good they are. They've had that consistency. Last last season, they finished second, um, but they were fourteen points behind Mulder. But but even that was like incredible. I think um, in our preseason predictions, we we had them sort of towards the bottom of the table. Um, so for them to finish second was was like a huge talking point. The fact that they finished above Rosenborg. Um, who are the mighty sort of, you know, the kind of the Juventus of that league, maybe you'd say, was a massive achievement. F- for them to go one better this season and actually win the thing, as I say, is, is just a remarkable story. Um, and one of the things as well to bear in mind is that this glimpse side, they, they've not only won it, they've they've destroyed it. I mean, they, they've beaten teams 5-0, 6-1, 6-1, 6-0. They've smashed teams every single week, pretty much. It's It's... I genuinely, people have been asking me, like, who, you know, what are some good teams to watch around Europe? And obviously, um, I, I founded Just Football, which is a football, world football website as well. And that, and people kind of sometimes ask me for what kind of teams are good to watch around Europe. And, you know, you have teams like Atalanta, maybe at this moment in time, Liverpool, you can't ignore as such an exciting team to watch, Dortmund. But I genuinely say to anyone who wants to watch a, a good game of football, watch Buda Glimt, because the way they play... Uh, they blow away teams. It's really intense, as I say, style of play, pressing, uh, in your face, aggressive football, really good like passing and, and link into play, changes of play, passages of play. Um, they went the first 20 games without losing in, in the league this season and they've only lost one game. In fact, they've won every single game this season bar three, uh, two draws and one defeat against Mulder. Every other game this season they've won. Um, and that just tells you a little bit about how incredible they've been this season. Yeah, and what, what what is it about them? Their playing style, for instance, like is it? Are they fitter than everybody else? Um, I read that they brought in kind of fighter pilots and stuff to work on mentality and mental health and meditation. Uh, are they kind of because they say you know there's nothing kind of new under the sun that everything in football is kind of just a reframing of everything else that there's no there's no way you can actually reinvent the wheel so to speak. You can change things, but you can't actually you know invent something from scratch, but the way that they're playing, it seems they have somehow kind of uncovered some secret that was henceforth not known, you know? So what is it, do you think? 
is it off the pitch work? Is it on the training grounds? Is it just kind of a combination of the two? I think it's a combination of the two. Um, it's it's off the pitch and on the pitch. They, they've got the right players, uh, for one. They've been lucky in the sense of having that crop of young talents coming through, um, which has allowed them to kind of develop, you know, that core base of players. But they've also coached them incredibly well. And I think, you know, they're sort of playing, a, you know, like you say, maybe there's nothing new in football. They play in a sort of 4-3-3 style. Uh, they play in a high-pressing game, high line of engagement. You know, they're really, really dangerous on the counter-attack. Um, they're sort of team, as soon as the ball breaks, they're on you. They'll get in your face. You know, the, the side's really young and fit. Um, a colleague of mine, Steve, who obviously is a co-host of the podcast, he wrote an excellent blog um, for, for Scout, And it was about kind of... Um, exactly what they've done this season in terms of their, in terms of their game model and, and, and their style of play. Um, and it really breaks it down well. I mean, this season they're averaging 65% possession, um, but really last season they didn't have as much possession, but they were they were more of maybe a counter-attacking side. This season they've actually developed that and been able to kind of play on the ball as well. There were times last season where maybe, you know, you'd give them the ball and, and they might struggle to break you down if you play a deep block kind of thing. Now it's not the case. They They... They can play any kind of style of play, really. They can they can match any team. And a good example of this was in the Europa League qualifier. They played AC Milan and they gave them a really, really good game. Um, it was it was a, a fantastic match against, you know, obviously a, a traditional giant of Europe. And, you know, for, for Tiny Glimp to go to Milan, the San Siro, and, and, and narrowly lose was just a sign of how far they've come in terms of their, their style of play. And obviously, straight after that game, AC Milan took one of their players, Jens Petterhauger, and, and signed him um, because they were obviously so impressed by, by his performance and, and, and a glimpse in general. Really gave him a, a bloody nose and a, and a bit of a scare. Um, but yeah, in terms of you know the style of play, as I said, it's high pressing. The, their average position is really, really high up the pitch. Um, they leave a high line. You know, the modern side of sort of style of play of football, like I've said, um, and that's just allowed them to overwhelm teams in Norway. The teams in Norway just can't handle it often. Um, and that's kind of just laid the, the framework. That, that, that comes down to good coaching. Um, but as I say, they've got really a lot of things going for them. They've got really good youth coaches behind the scenes, some of them we've had on the show in the past. Um, they've got a really good sporting director who gets the club, has been there, um, understands it. Obviously, his son also plays for the first team as well. So it's a real sort of family club where they, they make the right decisions. There's no pressure in terms of recruitment. They don't have to go and spend, you know, a million euros on, on a player or that kind of thing. They can bring in their own player develop them, let them adapt into their system and then and then give them the platform. They sell at the right time as well. So they've recently in the past few seasons, you know, Hakon Evian, as I said, went to Azel Almar, that brought in a lot of money that allows them to then increase their facilities, improve their facilities, the, the training around, that kind of thing. Um, and all that put together, including good management, has just led to this, you know, it's like a, this just creates a magic at the club and, and, and in the town and, led to this situation where now they're sort of the talk of Europe. Yeah, it's quite sad too. There's only, I think it was 200 fans in the beginning of the season when I'm to watch them and now it's towards the end of the thing with maybe 600 or something lent to the ground. Kind of sad, in the best season of their history, they have so few people watching them now. Yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, the, the situation we're in at the moment is um, it is a shame for these kind of teams, especially when it's, you know, once in a lifetime, potentially achievement. But I mean, there's been celebrations in town and, and obviously because it's such a close-knit community, there they'll be all together they'll be in it together you know what i mean i'm sure there'll be some parties going on behind the scenes behind closed doors um i even read that the local brewery has released a sort of beer in celebration so i'm sure there'll be a few of those being being drunk in the next few weeks <laughs> um but uh yeah 
I think the one thing I'd probably say on that as well is I, I don't think this glimp team is necessarily going anywhere. This this will be the you know hopefully we'll be able to get fans back into the stadiums in the next year or so. And in my opinion, I don't think they're going away anytime soon. I think the likes of Mulder, the likes of Rosenborg have got a real challenger now for them. And now they've won the title, I think they've got maybe the impetus to go again. I don't at this moment in time think it's not been a fluke if that makes sense. It's not like a um, you know Leicester was an amazing achievement, but you know they. They couldn't dominate the year after that. I don't think that will happen with this glimpse side. I think they've got the ability. As long as they keep the focus and, and keep the right people at the club, I think they could go again next season and challenge again. Yeah, it's interesting because um, you mentioned the player of Santa Paese in Milan after that European Europa League game. Um, but I read that there's players kind of almost knocking down their door now across Norway and across Scandinavia to come and play for them because they know that it's almost the best place for their development. Um, so I just want to ask you, like, for a league like... Norwegian league, for instance, or any kind of league that's like the top five in Europe, you could say. How important is to, is it to be attractive to young players coming in? And do you think that the game has changed in that sense? That if you have a reputation for being a kingmaker, say, is that kind of almost like a kind of a, a game changer in terms of your recruitment? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose um, the people at the club would probably probably be better to speak on that than myself in terms of how the players they can they can attract but there's definitely there's definitely that feeling now at, at Glimp where you, you want to go and play for them in, in my opinion I think there's players that could have left um, Philip Zinkenagel is, is a good example of that he, he's been an incredible player that we, we've talked about on the, on the podcast um, this season 15 goals from from you know wide wide areas and that kind of thing um, <clears throat> he's a Danish 25 year old there's been so many rumours of him moving and he's he stuck around and he's there and he's now won the title. And, you know, his career in general has been kind of, you know, he was playing in Denmark and that kind of thing. But he's gone to Glimp now and he's had the season of his life. And he now has huge interest in him because of that. Um, Hakon Nevin is another good example. Last season, he was incredible. And he did enough to get himself a move to the to the Eredivisie. Um, you look at Jens Petterhauger as well. Jens Petterhauger was being looked at by clubs for the best part of a year. Um he had actually a transfer pretty much arranged to go to Belgium um, before the season began. And there was rumours about, you know, are they going to be able to keep him for this season or, you know, how long will they be able to keep him for? Um, eventually what happened was he was doing so well and, and, and playing so well with Glimp that he decided that actually, you know what, I might actually aim my sights higher than than uh, Belgium. Uh, and he decided to wait, be part of this team because he had so many people. I, I know for a fact Premier League clubs were looking at him and... Um, yeah, he, he bided his time and he kept playing well and he was doing so well that AC Milan signed him. So I suppose that just shows you the level of exposure. Cl- players at Glimt are having different expectations now. They're having different career outlooks. You know, where maybe Belgium would have been the pinnacle, they're now looking at AC Milan. They're now looking at maybe moving to the Premier League as, as being the pinnacle. And as you know, Alan, of course, success breeds success. So, you know, that's that's going to be natural a natural benefactor of it. When you're winning the league by sort of, 10, 15 points when you're smashing teams 6-1 every week, pretty much. You know, people, that attracts people, right? You want to be part of that. That's something to be part of. And um, I think it will, in time, lead to them attracting better players, a better calibre of player. Maybe the location of Glimpton being right up there in the north might might put one or two off. But I think in general, I think that's always been a challenge for, for teams right up there in the north, whereas maybe Oslo is maybe seen as more cosmopolitan, a bit cooler, maybe, if, if that makes sense. That's always always a challenge, but um, in terms of the club, I think there's no better place to be than a Klimt now, really. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And how important do you think it is for 
before we touch on kind of more the kind of specific structures of youth football in Scandinavia, how important is kind of the success of players like Odegaard and Haaland especially and uh, Sanderberg? How important is that for kind of, you know, raising the profile of Norwegian football? Because like you're being associated there with three players, especially Haaland, who won the Golden Boy at the weekend, um, who really is kind of, alongside Kylian Mbappe, probably the hottest prospect in the game. So how important do you think it is to have leaders like that to kind of raise the profile of the whole uh, Scandinavian game, Norwegian game specifically? It's massive. You can't you can't you can't overestimate it. To be honest, um, it's it's huge. You know, any any country, if it was an English player or you know, whatever player it is winning winning such a prestigious award, it it, it lends a it lends a sort of a spotlight, doesn't it, to the league itself and the country itself, and and and, and you know maybe highlights things that that country might be doing right. Um, you know, Norway at the moment are forty third in 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 the sort of FIFA rankings. But it's not hugely high. I mean, they've been higher in the past sort of, you know, ten years. But but it's it's it's, it's rising. You know, back in 2016, they were sort of 80th, 82nd, I think, in in, in the FIFA rankings. Um, so they're gradually improving in, in that sense. The the, the men's team, um, and the hope is that that will, that will continue with the, with this squad that's coming through because they really have some some really quality players. Erling Braut Haaland is is a fantastic example. I mean. We had him. We were watching, obviously, when he was at Molde and talking about him on the on the podcast years years ago. Before he sort of moved on to he moved on to to the Red Bull sides, wasn't it? And then then eventually, obviously, Borussia Dortmund. And um, he was a player that you, it was obvious. I think we we had an article that we wrote saying he's going to be a hundred million pound player. And this was before he moved to Dortmund. And then obviously, at the time, he raised eyebrows and people were saying like, "What on earth are you talking about?" Maybe you know, I remember saying he'll he'll be a hundred million pound player without any shadow of a doubt. And um, I, I stick by that. I think it will eventually happen. You know, he, he is—he's an incredible talent. He's just blessed with natural ability, I think, as well. And 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 that just gives the league more. Uh, it gives the, the country sorry more, more credence. It gives them more more confidence, and just gives them that that feeling that they can develop these players. Uh, and there's many more that are coming through. And I think, as I've said, it, it's definitely an exciting time for fans of Norwegian football and, and, and Norway in general. Definitely. I think he's he's a phenomenal player. Like it really is. Um, I think his goal scoring record for his age. It's only a matter of time before he really hits the stratosphere and is winning, you know, European titles. I think. Um, do you think, out of interest, could you see him going to Real Madrid in the future? He's been linked a lot with the Spanish press, and um, that they're going to make a move for him in the summer of 2022 after they move for Mbappe next summer. Do you think he'd be interested in going to Madrid? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, obviously, it's difficult to say. Um, his agent's Mino Raiola, so you know he, he's uh, his track record in terms of management of his players is, is not one to sort of stick around too long. Um, if there's if there's a, a deal to be made, um, he's managed his players' careers quite well in, in general, and, and tends to know the right time for his players to move on. But but clearly, they'll be setting their sights higher than Dortmund event at some point in the future. You'd imagine. What he's doing is incredible. I mean, he's got seven goals, six goals in seven games for for Norway, and you know his track record at, at Champions League level is just outstanding for for such a young player. You know, just turned twenty, you know, recent not too long ago. I think he'll definitely have the ability to play for a, a top team in in world football. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, he's one of the best natural finishers I've seen as a young player for 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 years. I think you can put him in that bracket of Mbappe, Mason Greenwood, in my opinion as well. Um, that kind of level of player, I think he's got that ceiling to go to to uh, one of the best teams in the world. 
Um, <clears throat> Dortmund are sort of a team who traditionally, you know, they're, they're a youth development team, aren't they, really? As, as much as I, I love Dortmund and I've obviously been to the stadium and, and it's an incredible club in general, do they really have that pressure to win titles? Probably not. They're, I think they, you'd like to, but I always get the feeling with Dortmund that, that they even their, even their recruitment in general is, is more geared towards buying and selling rather than yeah. maybe winning the league. You know, um, I've, I've often said in the past, I'd like to see them maybe just bring in one or two experienced players to be around those young players to help them move, maybe really challenge um, Bayern Munich because they always seem to just fall short. But um, clearly they have their model in place and, and, and it's based highly on youth. They've got Gio Reyna, they've got Jaden Sancho, they've got Jude Bellingham um, and Haaland is part of that. I think he 100% can go and play for Real Madrid uh, in the future. I don't think he... he one thing about him as well, um, Alan, is also just to, just to wrap it up, is his mentality is, is you know, he has that elite mentality. He, he's a, I don't know if you've seen some of his interviews, the stuff is a bit bit crazy, really, in some of his interview, yeah. post-match interviews. <laughs> I think there was one the other day that he said he had a red bull at half-time and, and that helped him score four goals, um, <laughs> which is just like, you know, you don't, you don't see that very often from players in, in interviews, you know, usually get mundane answers. But, um, yeah, I think he's, all-round package, I think mentally he pushes himself, he he, he isn't shy, he's not afraid of, of, of stepping into a big club. Um, and I think Manchester United, um, you know, is going to be the one that got another one that got away for them because they were heavily linked with him when he was at Mo- And obviously, Solskjaer managed him at Mulder, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was his manager at Mulder um, for a time. So, um, yeah, to, you know, long story short, I think he's definitely got the ability to, to go to a top club, yeah. Like you said, I think it's his temperament that strikes me, it's kind of he's normally for a striker of that age they'd be quite kind of hot and cold and kind of you know impetuous almost you could say but he seems to have such a kind of a calm mentality remarkable talent really to be honest um but just to kind of link back to youth football scene in um scandinavia and norway specifically can you explain some of the work that you do there and um what differentiates norwegian youth football uh from say maybe english or spanish uh, youth football in your opinion uh, that's a good question, actually. D- different, I guess, is subjective. Um, I think at youth level, the end goal of a youth, the end goal of youth development is to produce players for your first team, right? Um, you don't really have a set of styles of play and that kind of thing that maybe define one team at youth level versus another team at youth level. Um, it's it's generally more about the coaching and and the ability to to produce players. Um, it, I've had I've had conversations with people within the game about Norway, what's going on, you know, with this generation. Is it just maybe a golden generation, or is there something in the water in, in Norway at the moment? It's difficult to say, and I think sometimes you can romanticise it, and sometimes maybe you just get lucky. Um, a lot of the players, for example, that have come through at, at Buda Klimt, they, they weren't part of maybe an academy structure. The likes of Jens Petterhagen and those kind of things, they were already, you know not part of an, an academy structure, but they came through and then they went into into the first team. Hakon Evian is a good example of going straight into the first team. Um, Morton Codranson and others, there's, you know, there's other players I could I could name. But there's definitely a lot of a lot of good work going into Norway at youth level. I think the clubs are working with their young talents a lot now, trying to develop them and, and, and bring them into the first team. I think sometimes it's it's financial restraints that mean that they they, you know, you, you don't want to spend all your money on, on, on top level first team players you have a little bit more time to develop. One of my observations, I think, from from being around Scandinavian football for, for quite a few years now, I think they definitely have a high level of youth development coaches and a high level of thinkers within the game. I think there's a lot of people 
people we've had on the show, for example, you know, we've had a, a really talented English guy um, at, at Wallerenga, uh, for example, who's a youth coach there, um, called Jack Brazil. We've had others who, you know, um, we've been on the show. I mentioned sporting director Asmund Bjorkan, and obviously, if you look to Sweden as well, I've spoken to a lot of youth p- people within the game, at youth level in Sweden. I always find that they have a really clear vision of how youth football should happen, how they develop players, how they should um, bring them through, and, and, and an emphasis on it as well. And I think we're just seeing the, the fruits of that in, in recent seasons. And, and um, you know, as I said, Alan, sometimes it's it's you get you get ups ups and downs, don't you? At youth level, sometimes you have a golden generation come through. Sometimes the talent pool isn't as great. I think Norway has just come across a, a generation at this moment in time that they're, they're they're sort of bringing through multifunctional players, and 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 their their model of training them is is, is is seems to just be producing multi multifunctional players that can play in different positions, that are kind of tactically aware, tactically astute, positionally astute as well. You know, can 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 play a modern modern style of play. Um, technically good on the ball, um, good vision, good awareness. And and that's just helping them come through. There's so many talents at under 21 level I could name, um, you know, the likes of Osam Sarawi, for example, Emil Conradson, Sider, uh, Jorgen Strand Larsen, who's gone to Gruningen. A lot of players are coming through, um, Joshua Kitalano. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a difficult question, really. You know, for example, England, at this moment in time, you mentioned England, they, they, they have incredible youth development. I think they're in a really good place with the amount of talents coming through in, in England over here, you know, we're seeing players exported now to teams like Bayern Munich and going straight into the first team. Jamal Musiala started for Bayern Munich at the, at the weekend and, you know, he's a 17-year-old English youth international playing for Bayern Munich. That's that's incredible. So, um, yeah, I think you get you get ups and downs and peaks and troughs in terms of your development phases, I think. And I think Norway just in that really strong moment where they, they, they're bringing through more and more elite-level players. Definitely, yeah. Do you think that maybe the kind of culture in top-level European football, say in the major five leagues, is kind of so driven on results? Do you think that, say, people like, for instance, I was thinking of Graham Potter, who obviously kind of cut his teeth as a coach with Osterund in Sweden. Do you think more and more kind of progressive coaches will go to, say, Scandinavia and other parts of the world to kind of latch on to the kind of you know, maybe sophisticated coaching culture there? Or uh, returning to the kind of major leagues to kind of uh, build their domestic careers, you could say. Do you think that Scandinavian football is close to having that kind of reputation for being more sophisticated than other leagues? Maybe it's a good question, and I think uh, it's it's certainly a, a great place to to go. Um, you know, I was I, I moved out there for, for sort of work reasons, and 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 you know, having lived there, um, I had an incredible time and experience. We've had Ian Birchin on the show as well, who was manager of Ostersunds um, after Graham Potter, and he was also managing Viking. Um, I'm friends with Sean Constable, who's uh, the manager of Bromma Poikina. Um, they have an incredible reputation for youth development within Sweden. They, they've brought through some of the best young talents in, in world football. I mean, Dejan Kulisevsky at Juventus is an, an example of a player that came through their academy, um, and, and I could name many others. It's definitely a good place, I think, to, to, to be as a coach. I think... Um, if you look at the likes of Graham Potter, look at Graham Potter's background. He was a coach uh, within the university setup, I think, in England. Um, and I know, for example, Ian Birchner was kind of at Leeds University, Leicester, that, that kind of thing. Um, and then they came through and, and eventually ended up going out to, to Norway and, and becoming first team managers at, at the top level um, of that of their leagues. And I think that's a trend that could continue for sure. You know, it's a slightly different style of play to England, what you'd expect in England. Um, 
you know, and we've had many debates on the show in the past about comparisons between different leagues and, and the quality of different leagues and which league is better or which league is more more technical or which league is more ta- tactical, that kind of thing. Um, clearly, it's a less physical league than, you know, England, for example. If, you, if you're if you a manager in, in League Two of England, it's, it's a very different game to, to sort of, um, you know, or Svenskan level or second division of England or sorry, Norway or, or Sweden. Um, but I think it's definitely a good place to, to be. I think you can have an emphasis on youth development. I recently spoke to Sean, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, he's, a, like I say, he's a manager of Bromma Poikina, who used to be in Osvenskan, but they're, they're currently in, in the third tier. They've had back-to-back relegations, and he's, he took over at the start of this season. And he's kind of his background in terms of English coaching was youth coaching. And he, he was telling me that he loves being in a, a club where he has that time to work with players and work day-to-day with players. There's maybe... There's still pressure, don't get me wrong. You know, you still got pressure to get results, but there's maybe a little bit more grace, a little bit more understanding of of, of, of coaches and, and you get a little bit more time to work maybe than, than, say, in England, where it's very, at times it can be very reactionary, maybe a bit more difficult to bring in your own philosophy, bring in your own style of play um, and embed it into a club without that results-driven focus. Um, so I think the likes of Graham Potter's benefited from that because if you look at what he was doing at he was there from... I think it was a fourth tier. They was, you know, started in, in the lower leagues of Sweden, got them promoted to the top division, ended up getting to the Europa League, winning the Swedish Cup. And he brought an entirely new game model. And, you know, Potter's an incredible example of, of, of coaching in, in Scandinavia because he had a completely different idea of football. Um, he has a huge background, strong background in kind of um, the mental side of the game, you know, psychology um, and creating a dressing room that, that kind of is an empath- empathetic dressing room the human side of football, he would like put on plays, you know, his, his team used to have to make, you know, they, they would be given tasks, that kind of thing in the community. For example, like I say, a play in the town square, um, that kind of thing. Um, so off the field, there's a lot of focus of community focus and really bringing together a whole town as well as a club. Um, and that, I think that's really stood him in good stead because he's moved on to obviously Swansea and, and then Brighton now in the Premier League and, and doing quite well. So I think you get that little bit more time to develop. You know, it, it, there's, there wasn't that pressure at Ossessons for him really to to win the title or anything like that because he was, you know, done so well there. So, yeah, I think I, I would say that it's a, it's a really good environment to to learn your craft and learn your trade. And, uh, yeah, I think I hope, hope that answers the question. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Very uh, interesting. But as kind of a final thing, just to put you on the spot completely, could you name after, you, of course, you you called uh, Erling Haaland as being, uh, Erling Bravo Haaland as being a, potential 100 mil player and I think that you're pretty spot on with that uh, you and your colleagues at um, Nordic Football Podcast but who would you say under 20 could be the brightest talent coming out of Norway if you had to pick one you mentioned a few interesting names but if you had to pick one who would you put your money on um, that is a very difficult question um, I think it is you you don't you don't I mean I don't I don't throw away I don't throw around the term 100 million player very lightly it's not something that I, I go around saying about everybody. Um, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm just mean like for who would you say is one of the brightest talents coming out of Norway now after Haaland, would you say? Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's uh, a fair question. Um, you're putting me right on the spot, I would say. Um, you don't have to. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. I'm, let me just smile it over in my mind. Um, <laughs> there's, a lot of good, there's a lot of good talents. I mean, obviously, I, I, I cover Swedes mainly on the podcast, so um, my, 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 my co-host is... is, is maybe better place but obviously I have an overview of both leagues and, and, and Scandinavia in general um, a player I think I, I'm quite impressed by is Odin Holm at Valerenga uh, he's a young 17 year old that I think has has been talked about a lot and uh, has maybe 
he's just coming through. So it's difficult to put pressure. I don't like to put pressure on players unnecessarily. But uh, I think Odenholm is a player to watch out for in the future. Um, in Sweden, it, it's difficult. There's, there's so many. Um, every, every season on the Nordic Football Podcast, we pick 10 to watch that we think will go on to bigger things um, in Norway and Sweden. And this year, my success rate has been pretty good. I uh, picked quite a few players who've, who've moved on. An example of that is a player at Beckel Hacken who, who moved to, to Everton, Everton recently and to Everton's under-23 side. Um, so we do have a fairly good track record of, of getting it right. But uh, yeah, I think I think one of the things about youth football, and I'm always conscious, you know, having worked on the media side and then also worked within the game, I think the media side of it, we love to big up players. We love to build them up and, and sort of create a buzz around them. But I also think you need to let players have time to develop and breathe without too much pressure. And so it's it's obviously very hard. I'm going to say Odin Holm so that you can you know come back to me in a few years and see if, if I'm correct on him. But uh, there's so many talents that you know that, that could come through. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And I guess if people want to keep up to date with uh, Scandinavian football, uh, there's no better place to do it than the Nordic Football Podcast and also just football, your website. Do you want to just explain a bit about the pod and also about your website and kind of what people can expect by, uh, by subscribing to them? Yeah, so um, obviously, I mean, I started my, my, my sort of career, I guess, uh, within football, with just football, um, which is kind of like a, a, an independent sort of world football website. And we've, we've had a strong focus on, on young players for, for many years. Um, we have a, a yearly list of players called the JF20 or the JF60 in the past, um, which is looking at like 20 maybe young players to look out for. Um, the most recent addition we had kind of um, Jaden Braff, for example, at Manchester City. And uh, we've had other players, Rian Brewster was on the list, Harvey Elliott and those kind of players. That was a year ago. Um, a new list will probably be coming out quite soon. Uh, and then, yeah, I've seen the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, hopefully it's, it's fairly fairly self-explanatory. Um, it's a, sort of a weekly show covering Scandinavian football uh, with my co-host and mainly Sweden and Norway. Um, so regular updates on those two leagues and, and looking at the players coming through and, and the teams and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, feel free to sort of check it out. Um, Twitter at Nordic, at Nordic Footpod and Twitter at Just Football as well, um, which is the two uh, best places. Or the website just-football.com and uh, Nordic Football Podcast. Just Google it and or check out iTunes, Spotify, that kind of thing, wherever you get your pods. And, and yeah, if you want more regular updates on on that part of the world, then we're there for you. Brilliant. Uh, we'll include links anyway in the description below, so you can check it out. Um, but listen, Jonathan, thanks a million for coming on and. Uh, giving us a kind of expert view from the Scan- Scandinavia and Norwegian football. It was uh, very, very interesting and very timely, of course, with both of Lynn's recent success. So, uh, many thanks for coming on. No problem. Thank you for thinking of me and having me on the show. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and listeners, thanks for listening, guys. Um, we'll see you soon from the episode of the European Football Show on the World Football Index. Thanks. <laughs>